0: blog talk radio
1: and good evening everybody and thank you for joining us here on king jordan radio the date is thursday february 6th 2014 and tonight we're going to be joined with from true crime aphrodite jones we will touch on Amanda Knox, Black History Month, and a few other stories. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have her here. She is the host of True Crime uh, with Aphrodite Jones. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ms. Aphrodite Jones. Good Hi, evening, King Aphrodite. Jordan. How are you? And welcome to King Jordan Radio. How are you?
2: I'm doing better, doing better, getting there slow but sure.
1: Slow okay. but sure. I saw that you, uh, you put out um, some fielders in your Facebook to get some comments about Black uh, History Month. And, uh, well, why don't you explain what you did before we get to that? Well,
2: I'll explain, I'll explain it real briefly. Um, what, I'm, what I'm trying to do and what I'd like to do. And people are writing in and I'm, I'm, I'm taking, I'm compiling and, and just uh, printing all the comments. But really what I want is for people to give me their most impressive memory, let's call it, or most important memory of something that they experienced involving the different world that we had growing up for each and every one of us versus what there is now in terms of experiencing something to do with racism. So, for example, myself, when I was a kid, I grew up in a predominantly black school, um, and I was overweight, and so I was picked on by... The school was predominantly black, and the other part of it was Jewish. I'm (laughs) neither. Um, So I was picked on uh, being overweight by everybody, but in particular... Um, because the black kids were the majority I had a lot of hard times with them and, and I was beaten up at one point and I, you
1: know, when you sorry? say overweight, were you saying like chunky or Yeah, no, saying? I was
2: just chubby. But back in those days oh. it didn't have chubby people really, you know. So right. it was one of those things also it just so happened, my mother was very frugal and she dressed me in bargain store type of clothes in a time period when people didn't have, there weren't Walmarts and things like that. So I had a lot of reasons that people make fun of me. Um, I understand bullying from a very personal standpoint between my name and everything else, but for for the most part, the thing that stood out for me was the time that I was beat up and ganged up on by a bunch of black girls in the locker room. And Really? You know, uh I came home in tears, and I, mean, I came home in tears every day from, from being, you know, mocked and teased and all, but the, the beat-up thing, oh, the getting so hit stuff. and all that, was, wasn't was anything where the violence has escalated to today, but there's a bullying thing going on, and, and yet the irony is that at the same time, my best friend in that school, being that it was predominantly black, was a black girl. and back from a very good family, even though we're middle class, and her family wanted her in a quote, better school, so she went up going to a private school, and I followed her there because I wanted to be around her, and then before she enrolled there, her parents decided to send her to an even more swanky private school, which my parents couldn't afford, and so there you have it. You know, it's it's an odd story of, um, you know, the way I grew up, and uh, of course, since then, you know, I have so many different stories I could tell, but I, I can only say that certainly I see a huge difference in the way young people are when they're growing up together, at least in junior high and elementary school versus four, the way I grew up. Um, yes, there's segregation, and yes, there are problems, but not the way it was, it seems, in those days. It seems as as it seems today, it's more um, white-on-white, black-on-black, Hispanic-on-Hispanic bullying with gangs, not you know, right. race versus race. And so there is there is a difference. It doesn't mean that we've come away from racism, not at all, but my the, the, the emphasis really is to start a conversation amongst all of us to figure out how far we have come rather than continuing to talk about how far we haven't come. Because, frankly, at 50 years old, when I look back to... Thirty-five years ago, and and forty years ago, when I was a kid, believe me, it was a different world, and we have come a very long way. And even in twenty years, um, I see that we have come a long way. Um, for for the young people that are twenty-five years or so, uh, I'd say there there was a there's a turning point. Um, But I think everybody, at least in my age group, has major stories about how it was then versus now, and I think everybody in every uh, generation has these stories. The irony to me also is that the stories I'm getting on my Facebook are from people who are, look, I want everyone to talk about their their stories, um, but as it pertains to, you know, Uh, white and black relations, Hispanic and black relations, uh, you know, Asian and black relations, not so much, uh, you know, white versus Jewish or Christian versus Jewish. And I'm getting all kinds of stuff about basically racism or of every kind and people who are saying I was beat up by blacks or I was picked on or I was this and I was that. And it's like, wow, I wasn't expecting that because to me, I always think of racism as being anti-black, not anti-white. So even though I had that experience, I mean, it's not, to me, not the norm. So I'm not sure that I'm getting quite the response I was hoping for so far, but this is going to be uh-huh. a long-running project for me because it's something that I'd like to put into a something that I'll, I can either broadcast and make a documentary about, but certainly write a book about and, and and a chronology about what's happening in a living history of how we're doing with coping with the races and At the end, the real result is I think that we all have to band together to fight what I consider to be the number one problem, which is pollution, and taking Michael Jackson's lead in the Earth Song and everything he talked about in This Is It, and all we know about with global warming, which I know is supposedly controversial, is that we are at a place right now where if we don't start to band together as a people, especially at least here in America where we have the sophistication to do so, and we have come so far in the last 50 years, to start to say, let's put our differences aside and let's all work together to save our planet for the future for our children that they're going to inherit, because right now what we're handing them is going to be a very soiled and tainted uh, environmental place. So to me, that's kind of really what it's all about at the end, um, but I do want to have this sort of living history that I'd like to chronicle as well. And uh, um,
1: I just want to say though, I mean, do you think uh, the cell phone? Uh, and I know the answer already, right? but I'm just the cell phones have made such a difference in, like, the teacher that got bullied on the bus, and all these, you know, these.
3: these because sure, those, and
2: those are living history moments that people are able to capture now. Instead of just telling the story, you can show right. it and you can prove it. And absolutely, I think that that's, that's made a huge impact, certainly, on uh, you know, the way we see what's going on in the world. Um, but again, it seems to me that the, the most of the media reports are always focused on what is the negative of these things. And what I'm saying is I want to see, okay, there was a negative incident and now look where I am today, you know? Right. As a, and, and things are better and have changed for me, for my neighborhood, for my family, for my whatever it is, at, and my own attitudes, et at, rather than just continue to harp on, isn't it horrible, isn't it horrible, isn't it horrible? Because to me, that doesn't get us anywhere. It doesn't get us to a place of unity and a place where, frankly, all of us truly do need to band together. I think Michael Jackson said something about we have 25 years before it's going to all go to hell in a handbasket with regards to the earth, and Al Gore said that, you know, in his controversial movie about uh, global warming, and while everybody and many scientists dispute these facts, the truth of the matter is we have been slowly but surely destroying um, the earth in the last 100 years since the Industrial Revolution, and there's no disputing that and we've got to figure out a way to turn it around, and that is a combined effort on everyone's part. And as long as we continue to fight with each other, we're not going to be united with each other to figure that cause out. And that's, and that's frankly, the bottom line for me.
1: Yes, and I do want to say hello to the listeners that are joining us from featured uh, blog talk radio, and I do want to give you an opportunity uh, to tell the new listeners uh, about some of the books
2: that you have out and available. Well, my books, you know, I, I, I'm a true crime writer, and that's why my show is called True Crime. And so I've written um, eight books that are all very high, um, let's see, high kind of, uh, high, either high profile yeah. or either... Best uh, sellers. Right.
1: New York Times you know, made don't. into
2: movies. One of them was made into the movie, Boys Don't Cry. It, they're all about social issues that we didn't grapple with. When I wrote All She Wanted, which became Boys Don't Cry, there wasn't even a word transgender in the English language, period. It didn't uh-huh. exist. Um, you know, transgendered people weren't accepted by anyone, including gay people, at all back then in the early 90s. So I lived through that and chronicled it in that book and then became a movie which launched Hilary Swank's career. Um You know, the the same thing with the Michael Jackson book I wrote where, you know, I stood up for Michael Jackson before he died and before everybody decided that he was, you know, the second coming and wonderful. And when everybody was a naysayer and when twenty four hundred other journalists were basically tearing their back on him and throwing him to the wolves. So, I I mean, I've always kind of been one to want
3: to,
2: you know, take up a cause because I believe in it and um, try to get as many people uh, as eyes open to, the, to whatever that social circumstance is um, through my books and through my television work. And, for example, I wrote two books about teenage violence before there was ever a schoolhouse shooting. Both of those books came out, you know, one was from the early 90s and the other was in the mid-90s. Those were before Columbine. And so, you know, when I look back and I think, wow, I thought I was writing these books and going to show everybody, you look at this teen violence, this is crazy. We didn't do this as kids. Nobody killed each other. You fought, but you didn't have guns and, 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 and knives and, and, you know, cut each other's hearts out. And this is literally, you know, burn each other alive, which is the two books I wrote about. Um, and I thought it was going to make a difference if people were going to read it and say, oh, my goodness, you know, we've got to watch our teenagers. And, of course, that didn't happen at all. So I can't. Pur- purport to to be somebody who's going to change the world, but I certainly can try, and, and and that's and that's just you know just what I do in in my books, and and one of the ways that I do that, and again, reason I'm trying to get this this history about living history of what's going on with racism with people is. I don't want to be a preacher. I think that's the worst way to teach anyone. No one wants to be lectured. No one wants to be told what to do. I want people to tell me what they think they're doing and what's going on. And then, like in my books where, and my TV shows, where when they watch or when they read, they make their own decisions as to reading between the lines and determine what they think really happened, rather than me ever coming in and saying, hey, this is what happened. So, um, in right, right. my TV show conclusion. a little less so. I'm I'm a little more pointed with opinions, but in my books, for sure, I don't. I'm not interested in in proselytizing. I really want people to come to their own decisions because that's the only way I know that that certainly I'll make a move. I mean, and at the end of the day, the whole idea is to get people to make a move, do something. Not you know, not just sit back and go, oh, that's interesting. You know, I don't. You know, great yeah. to hear that preacher. No.
1: I think you want you to answer this question that someone left from the previous show, and then he asked me to ask you this question. Mm -hmm. Uh, King Jordan won't be able to call in to your interview tomorrow with Aphrodite, so can you please, please ask her about her thoughts on the Trayvon Martin trial, what mistakes she thinks the prosecution made, and if she will ever do an episode of her show on the trial
2: answer is prosecution did make mistakes I it, it, we need two hours to talk about it but I will say this I absolutely plan to do a show on Trayvon Martin and it is something that I'm fighting for right now uh, fighting may not be the right word but I'm I'm working on um, there are legal issues because Zimmerman was found not guilty so there's there are a lot of things that have to be mm-hmm. sidestepped in order to cover it but I absolutely want to do an hour on that case because I was there in the courtroom and um, I saw huge gaping holes at the prosecution. They didn't connect certain dots that needed to be connected for that jury and they didn't do it. And um, unfortunately, when they did it was in the closing argument, which was great. And I was sitting yeah. there thinking, oh my goodness, in the closing argument, you've connected the dots. But the problem is that the closing argument isn't considered evidence. And when jury's hearing that at the last minute, they're looking back to the evidence to see what supports that, which was not there because they didn't expound upon it. So, it, you know, all the way around, um, the prosecution, you know, had a, had did the best they could, I suppose. But I, I just think they got very narrow-minded um
1: The witnesses were terrible. Well, not, you know, like the uh, the, uh, expert came in. He said, uh, I don't know how to read my notes. Well, there were things like
2: that, blatant things. But there were other things. Like, for example, George Zimmerman's best friend testified, and this was Uh his best friend who um, was a cop and who was an air marshal, actually, cop. And, uh, you know, one of those guys who gets to go on the plane with the guns and secret And he's the one who encouraged George to, you know, get a gun and shoot guns and la-dee-la. And and he wrote a book about this. And they quoted from the book, and they were questioning him from the book about, you know, things that Zimmerman said that didn't add up with what his account of what happened with Trayvon was to police. And, of course, the, the comeback was, well, this is the way I remembered it. I don't know if George, you know, this is secondhand from the best friend. Well, what about harping on the fact that George Zimmerman's best friend was a U.S. air marshal and that George Zimmerman was somebody who, that's your best friend? That's who you've taken all your notes from? That's, who you've taken your, your, that's where you're taking all your lessons from, so-called, in life? You don't think they sat around and talked about secret, how cool it is to be on a plane with a gun, and you don't think Zimmerman was hyped up to craziness and wanting to be that same type of guy? We know he was. He asked for ride-alongs, and he did some of that with the other witnesses, but I think that these certain witnesses could have been hammered on a little bit more. It, it, It could have been hammered home quite a bit more that Zimmerman was a zealot not just a zealot, but that he was somebody who had um, an outstanding goal, if you will, to be uh, not just a hero, but to be uh, a law enforcement person who was going to take charge and and take matters into his own hands. And that that this is something that just never really was quite said.
1: Wow. So... uh... The uh, It's 50-50, you'd say, uh, in terms of the show,
2: right? Uh, I don't have any percentages on it. I, I'm, I'm, um, we're in the midst of starting Season 5 right now. Um, I've certainly, you know, talked to the network about it. They're aware that I'm very much interested to do it, and um, I believe I will do it. I, I just can't answer it because I don't have...
3: You know what we call okay. in the business
2: a green light, and I need that green light from the network. I mean, if anybody wants to write into the network and say, you know, to ID, you know, please, we would like to see Aphrodite Jones do an episode on Trayvon Martin, please it do it. To, you
3: because
1: know, if you had just to snap your fingers, you, you would do it, obviously. There's a lot of challenges and licenses and things that you have to go through, Right to get a show like that done before you, you have to get the, the right people, you have to get the lawyers, you got to get everybody Wait, involved. Well, and I don't
2: think I'll have a problem with that, because I did meet with, you know, the prosecution. I met with, you know, Mark, Mac, what is it, Mac, Mac Mara? What, what, oh, I met uh, the- Mark,
1: yeah yeah do I mean I
2: met with all these people and, and and also I spent a lot of time in Orlando because of the Casey Anthony trial so there's many people I know in the area who were also very active and, and and commentators and part of this and I also met with some undercover people who are are in Sanford who were police at the time who had a different side of Zimmerman so I did my own research there when I was there so um I mean I'm ready to go I just need um I need, I need. Um, like I say, perhaps maybe having some people write into the Investigation Discovery Network and saying, um, you know, we'd is like to see. That, could
1: they, write they, can, they can
2: write to, um, at least they can, they can write to um, Deborah Gottschalk. Debra uh, spelled traditional way and the last name is underscore and then Gottschalk, which is G-O-T-T. S, like Sam. C, like Chalk. The
1: the title, the subject title.
2: C-H-A-L-K at discovery.com. I I think to just say uh, Trayvon Martin and then, you know, say, you know, we're really hoping to see Aphrodite Jones do a show on on Trayvon Martin. And... uh, you know, I think if the network sees that kind of response, um, sees that th- there's really an interest in it, I, I believe that that will, would would be helpful, definitely.
1: And one other thing, uh, Conrad Murray, is that off the table?
2: And by the way, the other person who can be written into is Bruce.Kennedy, which is an easier name to remember, at NBCUNI.com. NBCuni, and he's the person who um, produces my show at NBC because NBC produces my show for ID. So Bruce Dot at NBCUni.com, and that might be easier for people to remember and to write in about doing the doing the Trayvon Martin uh, story.
1: And, uh with this uh, George Zimmerman, have you saw that he's doing a celebrity boxing match?
2: I have seen it, and yeah. I am horrified by it. And I all I can say okay, is mean, that's
1: the least of what what occurred after the acquittal. I mean, this guy he, he's playing with guns, with girls. You he's know what? Of...
2: This is this is he, he's a train wreck, waiting waiting to collide. Again, and he will. But in the meantime, he sold some piece of art for a hundred thousand dollars. People are actually still applauding him, and that's to me again. It, here we go back to my comments about racism. Is uh, racism is alive and well? Somebody yeah. thinks he's wonderful, you know. And it's not. I'm sure it's not black people because I was at the vigil for Trayvon in Union Square in Manhattan on the one year anniversary. Um yes, last you were. last year and uh, at this time and uh, in fact we're coming right up on it now and it's just it's just sad. It's sad and Did it's you, not it's more than sad. It's 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 outrageous and uh, something horrible. has to be done about it. Somebody has to deal with it and I'm I'm more than ready and prepared to do so.
1: Did you hear about this upcoming trial very similar? Everybody saying uh, white man that shot on block king uh, ironically the kid's name is Jordan. A uh, 17-year-old kid, uh, HLN, is covering it.
2: I'm not, you know what, I, I'm still, as you know, recovering from surgery, and I'm at doctor's every other day. I was at two appointments today in physical therapy. I, I did look up the Amanda Knox story because you asked me to, so I'm prepared to talk about that. Yes. I don't know, I'm not looking at news right now. I'm in physical therapy an hour and a half a day, and at doctor's, so...
1: Um, okay, with that talk said, about Amanda Knox, but let me, let me just play this, uh, this, this clip and we'll talk about Amanda Knox on the other side. Sure. Start. My Twitter
4: and Facebook accounts absolutely blowing up today. A lot of questions from everyone out there about how could all this happen, what exactly did happen, what does it mean, and what is next for Amanda Knox? In the next two hours, we're going to try to answer all of those questions for you. But let me begin here with how on earth did we get to where we are, and what you have to do is take a look at the Italian system of justice. And here's what happened in the Amanda Knox case, okay? Let's go back. We'll go back to 2009 in the trial court. There's actually three courts. There's the trial court, appellate court, supreme court. In the trial court back in 2009, she was found guilty. Okay, she appealed that to the appellate court who had a brand new trial. In that brand new trial, the appellate court said not guilty. But in Italy, unlike in this country, when you're found not guilty, it's not over. The prosecution can appeal, and they did to the Supreme Court. And what the Supreme Court said was not, not guilty. And they sent the case back down to the appellate court. And that's what happened yesterday, the verdict of guilty. So where does that leave Amanda Knox right now? She's in phase two of all this. She now can appeal this and will appeal this to the Supreme Court, and that will be the final verdict in her case in Italy. So it's a little confusing, much different than what we do here in the United States. But Amanda Knox has one more bite of the apple in Italy in front of that Supreme Court.
1: Aphrodite Jones, what is your take on the whole Amanda Knox saga?
2: Okay, I'm going to tell you. Jordan, but I don't think you're going to like what I have to say.
1: uh, I'll be okay with it. (laughs)
2: Well, maybe people out there will not be. Um, Okay. Personally, and this is my personal opinion, I believe she's guilty. Okay. And I will say this as well, that I have always felt that from the jump we have two different things happening. We have an Italian media going after her, okay? Mm
3: -hmm. Which
2: is obviously pro prosecution and therefore that media campaign poisons the well and people think, Oh, it's the you know, the Italians are against her and da 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 but we also have Amanda Knox with a, a PR machine going for her in the United States. Right. Okay. So in that sense, anything that the Italian media have done to poison the well has been undone by the American media, which has made her this darling, which I don't agree with. And I think if she wasn't as pretty as she is and from such a, quote, well-to-do family as she was, none of this would be happening in her favor. I do not mm-hmm. appreciate the fact that she wrote a book and is running around being Miss Pretty and Miss Innocent when I don't believe it at all. And I'll tell you why. Would you like to hear why?
1: Well, you're the crime investigator. You, you know your facts, and I'm going to trust it.
2: Okay, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you a couple things. First of all, did the police coerce her into creating a scenario? Maybe. Did they hit her during the interview, as she claims? Maybe. Did they brainwash her? Maybe, but I don't think so. Here's right. the deal. There is evidence. People talk about no evidence. One of, in fact, one of the attorneys in Seattle that's standing up for her is somebody that I worked on the Michael Jackson trial with, hand in hand. We were to, side by side. I'm not going to mention her name, but she's standing up for Amanda Knox and criticizing the police in Italy and criticizing the DA in Italy. Well, guess what? Defense attorney criticizing faulty police work is defense 101. That's, that's the first thing that any defense lawyer does is they go in and they say, oh, the, the, the police went in and they picked up a hair, and, it was, and their hair was near that hair, so it's contaminated. Well, you know what? Not necessarily. It's human. Uh-huh. We're human, and not everything's perfect. And this particular lawyer is saying, oh, they, the, the, the bloody footprints in, in, in the, the, in the uh, cottage, they should have picked up the entire tile off the floor instead of putting luminol there. You know what? Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Let's look uh-huh. at the facts. Let's look at the evidence that's against Amanda Knox, and I'm going to tell you what it is. Let's hear it. There is a third person in this Saga Rudy Guede, I can't pronounce the last name. That's the vagrant right. guy, all right. The drug dealer guy who was who was convicted huh. over there.
1: Absolutely. During yep. his
2: trial, certain things were established. One that the crime was committed by more than one person. Now we don't mm-hmm. have proof of it, but that was established. Two, that there was a range of motives. There was the idea that there was money as a motive because this woman, the victim, Meredith, took out money from her ATM that day, and that money is gone. Mm. There's the motive of a sex game gone bad. And the fact that this woman, the victim's bra, the inside of her bra, the, the hook of her bra, had the boyfriend, Raffaello's DNA on that bra hook. What does that tell you? Now...
1: That's pretty interesting.
2: Here's the other thing, which to me was always the biggest thing of all. The footprints made by Amanda Knox containing her and Meredith's DNA were made in blood. Now, your roommate is killed by a vagrant, okay? By a drifter, okay? And you're going to go into that room and step in that blood really
3: that is and now, now I've
2: been had people argue with me and say well you never know what you would do if your roommate was killed you might want to go in and try to help her no what I would do immediately I found my father dead in the house when I was 21 years old Okay, I, right. I walked down in the basement, and there he was. I saw him dead. I froze in my tracks. I went right back up the stairs and called 911. I did not try to save him. I did not try to resuscitate him. I did not try to do anything. I, I was scared to death. Right. And not because I did anything wrong, but because I, I didn't want to con- be considered that I did anything wrong. And I was a kid. This was long before I got in the crime world. Oh, my goodness. And I remember that like it was yesterday. I always remember it. Number Number two... What to me is a huge guilt flag is that Amanda Knox, when she was asked by police, was she there that night, said she wasn't. Then she changed her story later when the boyfriend wouldn't uh, wouldn't confirm that he was with her, and she said she was there that night. So she places herself at the crime scene, but she lies about it. And what does she do? She accuses her boss, this guy Patrick Lumumba, Lumumba, Lumumba. she accuses the guy that runs the bar of killing her her roommate, the British girl. That guy is later exonerated. He's later, he's put in prison for a while, in jail for a while, and then he has an airtight alibi. Why would she, how did police coerce that? How does she have a drug haze that she she suddenly remembers that she thinks it was somebody else that wasn't even at the scene?
3: Yeah,
1: that's, that's some good uh, piece of evidence you, you're
2: saying. I mean, so in other words, she fabricated a story that her boss killed this roommate. Now, the other thing is, too, Raphael, her boyfriend who was on again, off again, he fabricated a story that... There was, uh, that his dna was on the knife and so or, or or the knife came from his apartment and that uh the uh the victim Michelle's dna was also on this knife which they never proved was a murder weapon but still the woman the girl was her throat was slit okay right um he fabricated a story that they cooked together he and Michelle cooked together and 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 he accidentally pricked her hand what? Mm. It, there's also the body was moved. There was a staged burglary. Okay? Knox's yep. DNA was found mixed in with the victim's blood, in not only in the cottage, but also in the victim's bathroom. So you put all this together, the luminol that was used, which police used that, that the chemical to see invisible blood to the human eye, that luminol showed that there were footprints comparable compatible with Amanda and Raffaello's footprints made in the victim's blood. The crime scene was altered. The body was repositioned. Why on earth would these – why would a vagrant drug dealer who was there to probably sell drugs to these two kids – Amanda and her boyfriend, who are over there in Italy, students doing what all those students do in that town, university towns all over the world, which is drugs and alcohol and and partying. He's going to wind up killing this person he doesn't even know. But yet these two who are somehow involved with her, that the Raphael's got his DNA on her bra straps. Wow. Okay. That he's an on-again, off-again boyfriend. That they had nothing to do with this.
1: But what would be her motive? I just, I'm trying to figure that part out.
2: Well, here's the thing. You know, Amanda wrote a panicked email to her home after, That's and true. she says that she and Raphael shout out sh- uh, shout out for Meredith, and they climb the balcony to see into her window, and Raphael attempts to force the door open and they call the cops. But when the cops come, neither Amanda nor Raphael mention to the cops that the door, you know, uh, apparently uh, the, that the door was splintered open when Raphael tried to get into it, nor do they mention that they're concerned about Meredith. So, again, there's a bogus story there. They, you know, the, these are two people who both knowingly lie about their whereabouts on the night of the murder. And it's not that they claim they don't remember, no, they lie about it. Um, right. You know. Clean and she accuses an innocent man
1: of the murder.: And Here's this it this woman, wasn't.
2: Kircher, the victim, was left partially clothed, strangled, with her throat cut. November 2, 2007, and one man is sitting in prison for it who didn't even know her, while two other people who one one of whose knife was brought to the scene, taken from Raphael's apartment, one the other of whom is a roommate, okay, who lied again and again, who was stepping and stomping around in this blood of her roommate. You're telling yeah. me that you can't put this whole thing together that 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 this Raffaello had his his hands on the victim 's bra clasp, what does that say to you? That to me says he somehow it, this this is my opinion, some weird back and forth sex going on with him and and Amanda, and maybe the roommate was being considered to be a part of it. Why would he have his hands? On her bra clasp.
3: Why? Mm, That's okay.
1: That's a motive. Yeah, yeah.
2: All right. So you know, and and the thing is, when you say motive, these are spoiled kids who are sitting in a university in Italy having the time of their lives. on on basically what is an extended holiday in my opinion when you do this exchange student stuff I'm not saying to everyone because I went to school at Oxford for a summer and I studied hard but we also played. Now in those right. days playing was me going to theaters in London and 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 doing whatever I was no angel but it it was different. You didn't have the at least we didn't have access to the kind of drugs that there are today and I'm, I'm sure there was plenty of it. I. Personally, I was a drinker back then. I I didn't care for drugs, but it it wasn't that that neither here nor there. You're telling me that these two kids who are entitled, entitled, spoiled kids, that that they couldn't have just been bored, and that she couldn't have been trying to lure him back because he was on again, off again, sexy Italian boyfriend, and that somehow she figured out to to play some sex game, and then that went bad and then they panicked and tried to cover it up and somehow got this guy, the drug dealer, involved with it because ATM money was taken out. Maybe they offered him money. Who knows?
1: Yeah, that's that's really crazy. But what what they got this prosecutor, a lot of legal analysts say that he's very shady, he's over the top, and he was on a mission, i.e. Tom Stanton, with Michael Jackson to get quote her, what you thought about and I, that? And I,
2: and I understand that, and I and I get that, and I understand that. You know, we're we we're, we're at a place right now where in Italy she's guilty, in the USA she's innocent, and that this guy was on a mission. And, and there is there is this other side, King Jordan, um, and I and I do want to make note of it because it's a valid and important point. In Italy, their exchange students, their tourism is a huge part you know, American tourists, British tourists, as a huge part of their economy, one of the biggest. And so the last thing they want is for people to think that they can't send their children there or come there from Britain or the United States or Australia or wherever and be safe and sound. So there was, I'm sure, a lot of pressure on this prosecutor to get this thing solved and to pin it on somebody within the college university community, rather than say, oh, my God, we've got roaming maniacs that are coming in and killing people, okay? So certainly there is that. However, if you really look at, again, the evidence, the evidence, if it was in a U.S. court, would would she be convicted? Well, I have to tell you, Alan Dershowitz recently spoke about this, defense attorney, Harvard law professor, he, right. is one of the, he is one of the toughest nails, leftist guys you ever want to know when it comes to this kind of stuff. I happen to know his son very well. And I'll tell you, to hear Alan Dershowitz say that there are many people in this country who have been convicted of murder on less evidence than there was in the Amanda Knox case says a whole lot in my book. Yeah. And he also mentioned, Jordan, he also mentioned that he would not want his son to be on a date with Amanda Knox. What does that tell you?
1: Uh, that that tells me a lot, you know. Uh, tough prosecutor, tough defense attorney, tough-minded. Uh, those statements are very tough. But what about this whole American people, you know, except Chris Cuomo. He got a lot of slack for the interview that he did with Amanda Knox uh, and compared to Diane Sawyer, where she was a little soft, and uh, a lot of people felt that Chris went after her. Did you well, hear again, ideas? this is
2: where, this is the, um, this is, remember how much money there is behind that book.
3: Yes, you know, that,
2: yes. who knows what she was paid for that book. Who knows, you know, she's become this She's become this representation of an American darling who, you know, goes over to Europe and is persecuted by Europeans and is a fall girl for what is a crime that she had nothing to do with. Well, I'm sorry, but I just don't buy it. I don't.
1: There's now, no.
2: that's me. Okay. I, I, maybe yeah. I'm completely wrong, and, and if the day comes that I'm completely wrong, I will... You know, eat crow, and I will get down on bended knee and ask for, beg for forgiveness from her, which I'll never get. But I'm telling you, I don't think that they will ever come, because I don't think that she can truly pull herself out of this. And to say that she was somehow goaded or brainwashed into what, accusing somebody who was a totally innocent man instead? So she's going to, yes. rather than say, I don't know, I didn't do it, she's going to throw the blame onto her boss that works at a bar?
1: Yeah, that see, that wasn't really uh, represented to a lot of people. That wasn't shown on TV. The picture yeah. that a lot of, of us got was this young, beautiful girl that was being falsely accused.
2: Yeah, that well, what about picture. when she falsely accused her boss, who had an airtight alibi, but she let the guy go to jail anyway? That's, and what about that's the fact that reason. she turned her cell phone off in the time the cell phone was off, in the relevant time period when all this was going down?
1: That's huge. gee, how
2: convenient.
1: That's huge. That's very huge.
2: Okay, and sure. her DNA is on the blood, uh, is on the knife, and her DNA is in the and – her, and her footprints and her DNA is in the bathroom mixed in with the DNA of the victim in the bathroom. And, her, and she's walking around in the blood of the victim, and she's cleaned up – somebody's cleaned up that scene. That's not all done by one vagrant guy who's a drug dealer. I'm sorry. And he oh. testified that she was there at his trial. That's why I say it was established. Now, of course, you could say, well, he was trying to save his own skin. Maybe so. But he's the only one who didn't know the victim. These other two knew the victim. Right, These other two right. had something going with this victim.
1: Obviously. And you know what's very interesting, Aphrodite? The parents of the, uh, the deceased still believe that it's Amanda. Well, They have uh, uh, changed uh, their yeah. situation. Yes.
3: Well, y-
2: y- what does that tell you?
3: yeah you know I mean, I mean the it, thing
2: is it, look it, it, here's where here's here's another thing that I want to say that I think is important. If this was Casey Anthony and she was being tried in Italy, she would have gone to prison. If this was George I, Zimmerman and he was tried in Italy, he would have gone to prison. So when people want to argue about how the Italians are corrupt and this and that and da, 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 and the system is different and all this other garbage, you know what? I'm tired of the American system letting people walk away in the name of making sure that there's no doubt because reasonable is no longer reasonable. It's not beyond yeah. a reasonable doubt. It's become beyond a shadow of a doubt. And that's not the standard by which our founding forefathers set for our American system of
1: justice. Right. They always say, use your uh, common sense.
2: And, and it, it, people... common sense has somehow gone out a lot of windows. And, yeah. and by the yeah. way, there's plenty of corrupt prosecutors all around the world.
3: Well,
2: okay? Absolutely. And, doesn't, and, and, and yeah, they have was... their agendas, and they have their political agendas, and they have pressure put on them to win cases and do this, and they, and they make their mistakes, and, and there's shoddy police work. But at the end of the day, if you truly believe and you know what, what you got, okay, even if you are a bit of a scoundrel, that doesn't change the fact that somebody's a murderer.
1: No, I totally <laughs> agree with you. I totally agree with you, and, uh, you know, you're going to have a lot of people that uh, disagree, and you have a lot of people
3: but, that okay. I don't
2: think people out there are going to like what I have to say, but, again, I'm <laughs> going to repeat this. If she was not a pretty white woman from an upscale family, we would not even be having this conversation,
1: would we? If she was a 400-pound, 50, 60-year-old lady, we wouldn't even be talking about her. <laughs>
2: no, if she... <should>,
3: well, <laughs> well, for it. sure.
2: But I don't even need to go that far. You know what I'm right. talking about.
3: Yeah. It's all about yeah. looks.
2: She's a pretty girl. This goes back to all the whole thing with the looks. She's a pretty girl, and people look at her and say, oh, she's so lovely. And she's so well-spoken. How could someone like that, she has nothing like that in her past. How could she possibly have gotten wrapped up in something like that? That would not be her. That's not like her. That's unlikely. Well, you know what? It's unlikely, but it happens. And I think it happened.
1: I'll play you this quick clip, and then we'll wrap it up with uh, Chris Cuomo, and then we'll wrap it up.
5: Okay. This is their theory, that you went in there for some kind of freaky sexual activity that went wrong and your roommate wound up dying. Fair? That's
3: what they say.
5: That's what it is. Forget the headlines. That's the truth of the proposition, isn't it? Is there truth to that proposition? Were you into deviant sex? Insensitive question, but hey, we've got to get to what it is. This fuels the doubt. Were you into that kind of experimentation? No. Did Meredith suspect you were into these types of things and created a barrier between the two of you. No. And therefore you resented her. No. Because she was judging you. None of that.
6: No. Absolutely not. And there's, there's no evidence. There's no evidence of that. But that's
5: the theory. Knox the theory. is into some freaky sexual things. She tried to pull in Meredith, who was a staid, buttoned-up Brit. She wasn't into it. And it went wrong. That's their theory. That was in the discussion of the judges. Yes?
6: Absolutely. And they, I was there in the courtroom when they were calling me things like violent and whore and deviant, and it's all untrue. Where are they
5: getting it from? Did you have any type of experimental activities there you're embarrassed to talk about? No. That they know about?
6: Well, in the book I talk about all of my sexual
5: experiences, and I haven't
6: needed to talk about... The, the details of that because they aren't deviant. I was not strapping on leather and bearing a whip. I've never done that. I've no never activities. I've never taken part in an orgy, ever.
5: And, and your and... roommates wouldn't have told prosecutors this. Could they have gotten this idea from somewhere else? Maybe you're not telling the truth, they heard it from somewhere else. Maybe you are telling the truth and they heard it from somewhere else.
6: I mean, no one has ever claimed that I was ever taking part in in deviant sexual activity, um, none of my roommates, none of my friends, none of the people who knew me there—that is simply coming out of the prosecution. No witnesses have ever come out saying anything like that. And the reason why they continue to perpetuate this idea is because they had this idea about me. They created this idea about me because it would legitimize their their accusations against me. I would be the type of person, a deviant, who would do this, and yet. This is them projecting their own idea about the kind of person who would be capable of doing what happened to Meredith on me. And they had nothing. They had nothing to sustain it. They didn't get it from me. They didn't get it from me, and they didn't get it from witnesses. It literally came from the prosecution. And this is what I've been up against this entire time. This fact that the prosecution was projecting onto what happened, their own theories about about young women and, and, and women who are, I was sexually active. I was not sexually deviant.
1: Okay, Daly, I want you to respond to that.
2: All right, I'm going to respond to it in a very simple way. I sure. don't consider that she was deviant. I actually don't think she was deviant. I don't think that at all. That probably is a fabrication of the prosecution because they felt they needed to go over the top or they had their own proclivities or reasons for wanting to demonize her. However, it's very simple. If you have an Italian boyfriend who's on again, off again, like this guy was with her, and he somehow maybe is interested in your roommate because his handprint DNA is on your roommate's bra clasp,
3: and yeah, then that's
2: Okay. Maybe there was an argument or jealousy or some kind of build up of insanity that went on. And that escalated with drugs and the drug dealer being present into this nightmare which created a partially closed and strangled and uh slit throat of Meredith and That is not a result of deviant behavior, nor orgies, nor anything else. It's as simple as jealousy and young kids, college-age kids, who have no real notion of what is real love or anything else, or maybe they do, maybe they don't, who knows, I, I'm just saying that it's a very convenient way for her to sidestep her, meaning Amanda Knox, to sidestep the truth by hanging her hat on the fact that they're lying about her sexual proclivities to then use it to say, I'm innocent, innocent, innocent. Yeah, she may be innocent of that. Yeah, they may have oh. overblown and probably did and, and probably could be sexist and are trying to you know, overblow w- what it was that the, the motive was. Or how this escalated, but guess what? That is not that is not answering the question. The question is why are two people who were involved with that woman Meredith Kutcher, who knew her, why, why are those two Ooh. people not behind bars when that murder happened and they? Have their footprints in her blood,
1: no you bring up a very good point and uh I tell you, uh you you should do an episode on this one because it is, it's fascinating uh the uh, knowledge that you uh that that you know about the case and uh, uh let me ask you though uh the American judicial system and the Italian judicial system. What do you think of, how would you compare uh, the uh, the Italian to the American?
2: Well, what I'm saying, I mean, one of the most important things, as you played in the clip, is that the difference is, once somebody is is, is found uh, acquitted by any court, it's double jeopardy. You can never bring them back again. In the Italian system, when the higher court decided that, that they overturned the ruling and they they found her to be not guilty, they were able to then take that to the Supreme Court and reverse it again and make her guilty Um, actually we um, we we actually do have that because I did the story on the San Francisco dog mauling where she was a judge she was found guilty by a jury but the judge decided to not sentence her to what the jury found and therefore it was appealed to the appellate court um, in California, who decided that the woman was guilty and that the jury verdict was correct, and she is serving time for the san francisco dog mulling. so but it's not that 's only because a judge made his own determination to not follow the jury verdict after a trial. but in our system, once somebody is found by a court to be not guilty, then they cannot be tried again, and nor can that be revisited by yet another tribunal. In Italy, clearly, you can go to yet another court, the Supreme Court, and get an overturn on that. We don't have that opportunity here. So um, we're much more lenient, I would say, uh, when it comes to that.
1: Which one do you think is is, is best for all, the American way or the Italian way?
2: Well, I don't think it's the American way versus the Italian way. Let, let me let me make it clear. Uh, what I was trying to say earlier about you know getting getting hot under the collar about Casey Anthony and about George Zimmerman is just the fact that I do think that we have a sy- system here where jurors have become so uh, jaded or or disoriented by the CSI effect that they're not using their common sense in a courtroom. Okay, number one. And I don't think you have that in other countries, such as Italy. No, I'm not That's saying true, others true. around the world. I can only speak for the ones, the few I'm, I'm, I've known a little about.
3: The other oh, thing they, I can they say...
1: they also would have been found guilty in in that 94-95 case, uh, right? There would have been no questions in, in I Italy. I believe
2: so. I, I believe so, yes. I believe so. I think that you know we have a lot more games that can be played in the chessboard here um, it's it's um there's a lot more um oh my goodness how do you put this um it is a game of chess here more right. than it is about uh justice and that's that's an interesting element that we have in America where you know why they say you can buy justice it's uh there is there's a lot to be said for when the jury is picked if you have the right jury consultants and all of that it does play into how trials are won and lost and it is a very important element of it as i've watched and sit in trials all my life i'm um, and you know beyond that you know what is the level of the prosecution what is the level of the defense um, and and again um you know, what is the common sense of that jury at the end of the day? and and how 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 are people able to morph with what evidence there is and and move forward with it if the story is changing as it lives and breathes in the court? And sometimes unfortunately, people are not able to morph. And that's what happened in the Casey Anthony case. Um, the prosecution had a theory. And even though Jose Baez came up with this drowning and accident, they weren't expecting that, and they didn't address it. So they just went asked, forward with their uh, theory as if none of that was said. and that was... I
1: asked Richard Herman. I said, do you think it may be the 1% chance that maybe, just maybe, the follower worked in concert with Casey Anthony? Do you think that there's any percentage of that happening?
2: There's always, there's, there's always a 1% chance of anything happening. I mean, I, I, I don't rule anything out. You know, I try to be as broad-minded as I can. But do I think that he really did, would have done that? H- I have met the man. I have sat down and had lunch with that man and his wife. Um, really? I've been him on more than one occasion, and I will tell you that in my heart of hearts, I, do I think he would do that? I, did I, do I think he did do that and would let his wife suffer for a month to right. tear her hair out? No, I do not think so.
1: No, me neither for the, just for the record. I want to thank you every day for that coming on and saying election <laughs> I we got that uh, uh but uh the uh, fans could go to uh those uh email addresses if you wanna give it out, uh feel Yeah, brief. I
2: think the best one is to go to Bruce Kennedy. It's Bruce Kennedy at NBC dot com and uh, just put in the headline True Crime and then write him a note saying, you know can you please, um, you know, see about uh, having true crime do an episode on Trayvon Martin? I would love that. As far as doing one on Amanda Knox, by the way, um, while I'd love to do it, I think that, especially since I've been so opinionated here, it would be hard for me to uh, find, you know, the other side of the story anymore. Um, Amanda Knox and her family and friends here are convinced beyond belief um, that she is this wonderful person who is being persecuted. Um I don't have that belief, and I don't think I could possibly um, do justice to the story with my my own um, bias, if you will, or, or position that I have. Um, and right. I could, like I say, I could be t- entirely wrong. This is just my opinion.
1: But, no, but uh, being a crime uh, writer and doing this as long as you do it, it, you know, it puts a little, a lot more credence into it. So, well,
2: again, you know what? Uh, to me, I can't get through the footprints, I can't get through the DNA on the knife and uh, on, the, on the bra, and they want to say it's okay. garbage and it doesn't matter, and I say, baloney. Baloney, <laughs> baloney, baloney. It does matter.
3: Do and they don't have to be
2: in here? orgies and sex acts and twisted sex and blindfolds and whips and all that crap that she's bringing up there to try to deflect You can just have a boyfriend that you want to keep who's on and off again and suddenly he may be interested in your roommate and it becomes, with drugs and whatever, a whole thing that turns into an escalated craziness and becomes a murder. And that that happens every day of the week in stories that I'm covering constantly all over the United States and the world, and we all know that.
1: And uh, the listeners that are new, uh, when will your show be starting up again, in the fall?
2: Well, we're starting up now with just, you know, going through, you know, figuring out what stories we're going to do. But I'm still convalescing, and I'm still recuperating, so it's going to take yes. a little while, but, but soon enough, as soon as I can get walking,
1: really yeah. walking. We need you to do well with the snow on the ground in New York, uh, and <laughs> <laughs> the house.
2: Yes, well, I have to walk in order to recuperate, but I am walking mostly in the house. It's true.
1: Thanks a million, Aphrodite, for joining us here on uh, Thank King George Uh Great one, uh, as usual. Thanks, we will speak King to you Jordan. soon. Thank Pleasure.
2: you. Pleasure. Thank
1: you. Good night. Good night. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that was the great Aphrodite Jones. You could, uh Facebook, ring talk to her on uh, AphroditeJones.com. Also I am going to play uh an interview uh with Amanda Knox uh talking to uh talking to uh, the uh, uh lady uh, what's her name. Oh you'll hear in the interview in a second. But there's a few things I do want to mention tomorrow uh 10:30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time I will be playing uh, special rarities uh, Michael Jackson. I'll be playing some of the regular hits from 10:30 p.m. Eastern time to 12:30 a.m. Friday night. Michael Jackson. I will be playing songs you've never heard before, so you'd want to you want to turn into that. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'll be playing some exclusive uh, stuff, uh, so you definitely want to uh, take a listen to that. Also, uh, you want to go to the website of King Jordan Radio, and it is www.kingjordansportsandmedia.com. Also, join us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash King Jordan Radio. Also, join us on Twitter at Mr. King Jordan. Okay. Here is Amanda Knox with Diane Sawyer. Uh, this is before the uh, verdict, uh, the recent verdict. And also Monday, I want to let you know, Jason Lamb, uh, analyst, will uh, we'll be talking about Woody Allen, the situation, the molestation charges, and we'll be talking about that actor who passed on. Okay, folks, take care. And here is Amanda Knox. Uh, uh, take a listen.
7: Tonight, look at this face. Who do you see? An innocent American girl? Or a cold and savage killer? A spirited girl who loves her family, who'd never been in trouble before? Or the mastermind behind a sex game gone wrong? Did you kill Meredith Kircher? Amanda Knox, the mystery of her behavior that ignited a global obsession. For all intents and purposes, I was a murderer. And what brings her to tears? For over five years, as BBC News has covered this story, looking for answers from Perugia to Seattle, Amanda Knox says she's been waiting for this night to be heard. Do you know anything you have not told police? Here now, Diane Sawyer.
0: Good evening and welcome. And tonight, after nearly six years, you're about to enter a murder, a mystery, and a kind of maze that is the story of Amanda Knox. She is the American woman who was a student in Italy for just six weeks when she was arrested and accused of murdering her roommate in a sex game gone awry. She would spend 1,400 nights in prison, then be acquitted, set free. But tonight, a third Italian court has now just ruled they want her to go on trial again. So, as she talks to us, she knows every word of this interview could affect her freedom. But she says in the title of her book, she spent a long time waiting to be heard. In a medieval college town in Italy, thousands of miles away, two young women arrive for a year abroad, seeking new horizons. 21-year-old Meredith Kircher, who wants to be a journalist like her dad back home in England. 20-year-old Amanda Knox, who has never lived far from her family in the suburbs of Seattle. Six weeks later, one will come home in a coffin. The other will begin a long fight against charges she is a sex-crazed killer, as headlines label her an erotic thrill-seeker, seductress, murderous. She-Devil with an Angel Face, Heartless Manipulator, Concertante of Sex, Sphinx of Perugia.
6: I haven't heard those, I mean, I've heard the gist of them, and uh, they're wrong. I mean, I was in the courtroom when they were calling me a devil. I mean, it's, it's one thing to be called certain things in the media, and then it's another thing to be sitting in a courtroom fighting for your life while people are calling you a devil. It's not true. For all intents and purposes, I was a murderer, whether I was or not. And I had to live with the idea that that would
0: be my life. And now, even as we start to talk, the Italian Supreme Court has just ruled she'll go back on trial for the third time.
6: It was incredibly painful. I felt like after crawling through a field of barbed wire and finally reaching what I thought was the end, it just turned out that it was the horizon and I had another field of barbed wire that I had ahead of me to crawl through. What's the first thing you want people to know about you? I want the truth to come out. I'd like to be reconsidered as a person.
0: Of all the people watching, I keep thinking about Meredith Kircher's family. Yeah, me too. What is it you want them to hear tonight? I'm thinking about them, too.
3: Hey, it's Amanda Knox from West Seattle.
0: Amanda Knox says, imagine it was your daughter growing up in a middle-class suburb of Seattle. Her divorced parents still living within walking distance of each other. Above all, she says she loves her family. The
6: wonderful thing about my family is that we need each other always. All of us. And whatever happens to one of
0: us happens to us all. You can see her as a girl there in the school production of Annie belting out a song, doing a backflip. She describes herself as quirky, often too loud, uncensored, strange, like the eccentric heroine of the French film Amelie. But she is still living in Seattle a junior year in college on the Dean's List when she decides it's time to leave home and venture out. An adventure of fill in the blank an adventure of an adventure of selfhood
6: um... i'd say i mean i was i was at an age where i was where you know you're you're both insecure but you're confident at, at the same time
0: you wrote a something in the book that surprised me that you said what if i had not gone on a campaign for casual sex?" it
6: was irresponsible a child's going about a very adult thing. You thought that's what the liberated, free-spirited girls did? I thought that's what all self-confident, free-spirited women did. And at that point, I still
0: felt felt like a clueless girl. Like so many girls with websites that might come back to haunt them, her screen name seemed flirtatious she says it was given to her by her middle school soccer team foxy noxy
6: there was also a lot of me talking about my mom being my hero and how i liked rock climbing and roller coasters and my sister's naive i i was naive enough that i didn't understand the way bad things can happen to to regular people for no reason.
0: You were going to say good people.
6: Well, I all people are good. Um, but I I mean we also are all regular
0: (laughs) She worked three separate jobs to earn the money for her year abroad. Her sister Deanna dropping her off in Italy, making a video as they head there, teasing her about her new life, and the boys she'll meet, first up, that naked Michelangelo statue of David. Are you
6: excited to see David? Uh, David. David, The statue of David. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Goddamn. Well, dude, I swear to God, I don't know what it is about people who think that guys are not attractive physically, but...
0: though Amanda's real crush Harry Potter
6: Potter than how you like are in love with Harry Potter I am I'm reading it in German and I'm gonna get the second one in Italian and I'm not even gonna be able to read it because I can't even do Italian yet but it's gonna happen baby
0: you look at the picture of the girl who arrived there what would you want to say
6: I want to tell her not to be afraid of what's gonna happen because what happened to me Hit hit me like a a train, and there was nothing I could do to stop it. Um, I was really afraid.
7: When we come back, what happened the night of the murder and the morning after? What about that video, and did she really do a cartwheel?
0: Where is the grief? Where is the anguish? Next. You are looking at a surveillance camera in Perugia, Italy, as day turns into night. November 1st, 2007, 841 p.m. There is a small dot there, hard to see, something moving. In court, they will say this is probably the last image of Meredith Kircher alive, heading toward her home about 100 feet away. She will be brutally attacked in her bedroom, and we warn you, this police video is graphic. There are 47 cuts and bruises on her neck, legs, face, inside her mouth. Her clothes ripped off, and around her body, etched in blood, a shoe print. A handprint on the wall, a footprint on the bath mat in the bathroom, drops of blood on the faucet. Meredith Kircher had studied karate. It's clear she fought hard for her life. A life filled with possibilities. This is her acting in a music video back home in England. She's studying politics in Perugia, has lots of British friends. Then, six weeks before her death, she meets her new roommate in the house, the American Amanda Knox. What was the first thing you thought when you saw Meredith? I was putting away my things in the room when she came
6: to my door and introduced herself and was immediately very nice just this this immediate exchange of wow this is this is someone who who i can get along with
0: nox says she and meredith and their two italian roommates became easy friends happy though at the trial meredith's friends will testify she was annoyed by amanda's loudness and lack of inhibition were you ever jealous of her no were you ever angry at her no When we take a camera break, she's looking down. I ask what she's thinking. It bothers me when people
6: suggest that she wasn't my friend. I was stunned
0: by her death. She was my friend. Amanda Knox has now been in Italy five weeks, going to school in the morning, working for a bar at night. And as far as her experiment with casual sexual encounters, there have been two Italian men. Then she goes to a classical music concert and sees a young man who reminds her of Harry Potter, a graduate student in computer science. Nerdy, very inexperienced with girls, Raffaele Selecito says he can't believe the beautiful, uninhibited American is looking at him. Colpe de fumine. Un colpe de fumine. That's a, a lightning
6: strike. Yeah, um, he, he writes about how taken he was with me and I really liked
0: him as well. They have known each other just seven days before they enter the 24 hours at the center of this mystery and this debate, the night of November 1st when Meredith Kircher is murdered. Amanda Knox says she and her new boyfriend have been spending nights at his apartment. What are you doing the night of November 1st?
6: November 1st, we stayed in and we had dinner. We watched a movie.
0: His computer confirms that someone had ordered that movie Amelie. A witness confirmed she and Raffaele were there in his apartment as late as 8.40 p.m. We smoked. We had sex.
6: We were together. We just hung out together. We talked. He talked to me about his mom. We made faces at each other. We were being silly and together.
0: She says in the college town of Perugia, marijuana was as common as pasta and mostly it makes her goofy and sleepy how high were you
6: I smoked a joint with Rafael and what that did to my memories was it made them less concrete but it didn't black them
0: out and didn't change them you remember with clarity that you did not go out that night you stayed in the whole night we stayed in the whole night The next morning, it is undisputed that Knox is the first person in the house where a murder has taken place. She says she made the five-minute walk from Raffaele's apartment, home, to take a shower and get fresh clothes. She says she noticed the front door standing open, thought it was odd, but the latch didn't always work. And even though she saw some blood on the sink, she says she took the shower, thinking maybe Meredith hadn't cleaned up, or was it her own newly pierced ears? At the sink when I was
6: taking out my earrings that I noticed that there were speckles of blood. But speckles. A few drops. Did you see the bath mat? Did you Not yet. Not yet. I saw that when I was getting out of the shower and I thought it
0: was strange. But you know people look at this and they say, door open, blood in the bathroom, those are red alarms. Well, I
6: had never before experienced anything in my life that was drastic
0: because people think you'd be automatically
3: concerned.
6: Well, I and indeed I was, that's why I called my mom.
0: She woke her mother in the middle of the night in Seattle and also phoned one of her roommates. But when she got back to Raffaele's apartment, she didn't even mention what she had seen until after they had breakfast. She says, still telling herself, don't freak out because it could really be nothing. She says ultimately Raffaele will call police and her roommate, Filomena, is there and the door to Meredith's bedroom is knocked down. Amanda Knox phones her mother again and says with her beginner's Italian, she's trying to understand the torrent of words. And someone was screaming, a foot.
6: I remember very distinctly telling her because she was like, what do you mean a foot? A foot, what does that mean? Is there a, what? And I said, I don't know. I don't understand. And Philomena was crying out, Meredith. And so I heard that it must be Meredith and that... There was a body and that there was an armoire and there was blood and there was
0: a blanket from this point on amanda Knox and her behavior will be a kind of kaleidoscope shifting shapes depending on what you see is inappropriate behavior evidence of guilt or as she says was she just a tone-deaf girl in a trauma she sits on raffaele's lap at the police station playfully making faces she tells Meredith's grieving friends that Meredith must have suffered she had her effing throat cut sorry about that now (sighs) I could have been more sensitive not knowing police are studying her every move a female officer later testifies that Amanda Knox is doing cartwheels in the waiting area she says she was just stretching after a long wait as far as cartwheels
6: or splits I never did a cartwheel um, I did do the splits and then later on she claimed that I was doing a whole number of gymnastics, cartwheels, back walkovers. I did the splits and that's once. But do you see how strange? Well, what's strange is why these things got mischaracterized. But again, you can see that this does not look like grief. does not read as grief. I think everyone's reaction to something horrible is different.
0: And perhaps most startling, this video—the first time much of the world will see Amanda Knox on newscasts.
2: Knox,
0: here with her co-accused, she's outside the house where the body's been discovered. And people kept saying, "Where is the anguish? Where is what we think we would do if this happened to our friend?" I've
6: seen. The same picture, like, the kissing just can't stop. And that's not what that
0: was. Kissing shown over and over again on the news. But when you look at the tape, there are three quick kisses. Then, the rest of the time, she stares into space. She says, thinking about random fate, how she lived in that house, too. My friend had been murdered,
6: and it could just have easily been me. Somehow, she had died in the house where we were living. And it could have been me.
0: But watching her, police are sure they have the killer, that American girl. When we come back... Did you kill Meredith Kircher? It is now the fourth night after Meredith Kircher was murdered. Amanda Knox and her new boyfriend at the police station, unaware. Police are now certain they have their killers. To get to it, did you kill Meredith Kircher? No. Were you there that night? No. Do you know anything you have not told police that you have not said in this book? Do you know anything? No. I don't. I wasn't there. She says she has already undergone 24 hours of questioning in the days since the murder. She's now alone with police, no lawyer. I asked them if I should have a lawyer, and they
6: said it would be worse for me. They knew what they were doing, and that is something that is unforgivable to me. What happens
0: next? is a stunning turn of events. But
6: you confessed. Well, I didn't confess. I was interrogated. They acted like my answers were wrong. They told me I was wrong, that I didn't remember correctly, that I had to remember correctly.
0: And if I didn't, I would never see my family. She says suddenly police start hectoring her, yelling in impenetrable Italian. She has only been in Italy five weeks, and at one point they bring in an interpreter who says maybe she had amnesia from the trauma of being at the murder scene. When they told
6: me I had amnesia, it was the only reason I could think of of why they were treating me that way. I
0: trusted them. In another interrogation room, her boyfriend, Raffaele, is unraveling. Police say they can prove his Nike shoes match the bloody shoe print in Meredith's bedroom. He says fearfully, frantically, he tells them maybe Amanda did leave his apartment that night. Police hammer Amanda Knox about a text she sent the night of the murder to her boss at that bar where she worked. His name is Patrick Lumumba. She writes him in Italian, see you later. Not aware, she says, that unlike in English, it suggests you actually plan to meet. And so when they
6: pushed me about Patrick's message and told me to think, told me to remember that I had met him, I I can only describe it as breaking down. I didn't know what I
0: remembered and what I didn't
6: remember anymore.
0: Three hours in, police began writing a statement in Italian in which she acknowledges she was there at the house as Patrick Lumumba killed Meredith Kircher. It's so detailed. I heard Meredith screaming and I was scared and I covered my ears.
6: I wasn't providing a lot of the detail they were asking me if i had heard meredith scream and when i said i didn't remember they said how could you not remember that she screamed and i said okay i guess i remember that she screamed it was all like that but you signed it and i signed it because i was incredibly vulnerable at that time
0: this is audio from her first hearing as she tried to describe that night
3: take me to jail, and because, because of all this confusion, they kept saying, you sent this thing to Patrick, we know that you left the house, we know. I just said his name.
0: The next day, she will send police a letter in English saying she's in a state of confusion, but thinks what she said about Lamumba, maybe it was wrong. She asked them not to yell at her anymore.
3: Right, right.
0: We have contacted experts across the country who tell us, hard as it is to believe, Hundreds and hundreds of people do give false and coerced confessions, some of them seen here in these pictures. Though the experts tell us it is less common to name an innocent bystander, innocent, like Patrick Lumumba. Lumumba had 11 people who could give him an alibi and says she ruined his reputation and his life that night. This is inconceivable to people that you lose Yourself, and then you talk about being there? You talk about someone else doing
3: it?
6: I can try to explain what happened, and that's all I can do. I am still sorry to this day that I named Patrick the Lumba. But... I was demolished in that
0: interrogation. And something curious. Police say they failed to make a recording of that night. This is what I'm up against, and she is also up against a formidable adversary, the prosecutor who has been watching her. Giuliana Manini, a kind of celebrity expert in Italy on sex rituals and murder, believes he has another tantalizing case with a decadent American girl. <laughs>
6: And when they finally told me they had to take me to the jail, I did not understand why. And they said it's for your protection. We're protecting you.
0: But the prosecution alerts the press. The global obsession has begun. An angel-faced killer has been apprehended. And soon police will introduce a new man they claim was under Knox's control. Pay attention to the name Rudy Goodet when we come back. As we return, the trial is about to begin. There are two central questions for you to consider. Does the behavior of Amanda Knox prove she's a killer? And is the prosecutor about to present evidence beyond a reasonable doubt? The Italian justice system is different from ours here at home. The kind of personal character evidence you can introduce and also what the jurors can hear. By now, a year has passed. The jury and everyone in Italy has been steeped in lurid headlines. The trial is ready to begin. Amanda Knox says because she's been staying in prison, she doesn't grasp that to Italians she's become a pariah, a presumptuous promiscuous American. In the court, everyone sees her at times smiling, at times stoic, other times not seeming to pay attention. Once wearing a t-shirt from the Beatles song,
6: All You Need Is Love. It was another one of my naive immaturity. I didn't realize how very
0: intensely I was being scrutinized. When she makes a statement about barely knowing Meredith Kircher, it seems strange, callous. I'm not the best speaker. Does it look hard, hardened, unfeeling? I can see how it does. She says the whole proceeding just seemed surreal. You thought you were going to be acquitted. How could I be convicted? That's what I was thinking. But the prosecutor, Manini, is ready with his case arguing. What happened that night was a sex game targeting Meredith and spiraling out of control. Police have created a kind of avatar cartoon for the trial showing how Amanda Knox might have wielded a knife while Rafael held Meredith down. Menini argues they could have been on drugs like cocaine, though police did not do a drug test. And then Menini produces a murder weapon. A knife taken from Raffaele's kitchen drawer, which Knox says they used for cooking. But Manini says it has Meredith's DNA on the blade and Amanda's on the handle. I can't go over all the evidence, but just to hit a testified, it was her DNA. And it was proven that they were wrong. Later, independent experts will say a credible lab would be skeptical about identifying DNA from such a small sample. And that other speck on the blade? is rye bread. Next, they produce a small piece of Meredith Kircher's bra class claiming that it bears Raffaele's DNA. But one problem, they admit the police accidentally left the clasp at the crime scene for 47 days, only discovering it in a different place on the floor. In police video, you can see them passing it around, dirt on their gloves, raising questions of contamination. And among the prosecution witnesses, the star would be this man, Rudy Gaudet. He was known to Perugian police as a thief, a drug user who had threatened people with a knife. He told friends he had strange episodes in the night, sometimes blacking out. He fled Perugia the day after the murder. A friend got him on tape saying he'd been at the house that night, but just going to the bathroom and Amanda Knox wasn't there. But a year later, his story had changed. He says he did see her through a window. But here is the issue at the center of the trial and the question of reasonable doubt. Rudy Gaudet's DNA is everywhere in Meredith's room, on her purse where her cell phones and money are missing. The bloody shoe print they once said was Raffaele's was his. And the handprint matched his exactly. Also inside Meredith's naked body, Rudy Gaudet's DNA. So how can police explain the fact that at the crime scene, there is not one trace of DNA from Amanda Knox. The prosecutors will say she must have cleaned hers off. They have said that you cleaned the room somehow. You cleaned the premises of your DNA. Well,
6: that's impossible. Um, it's impossible to see DNA, much less identify whose DNA it is.
0: The trial will continue for 318 days. Every day, watching her parents who believe in her and fight their way through the press to be in the courtroom. Also watching another family who believe that she is involved in the death of their child. She says she tried to send a request to the Kirchers to approach them, but their lawyer refused. I remember
6: being both Humbled and mortified by that, because in my mind it was still all a big mistake, and it would be shown to be a big mistake.
0: On December fifth, two thousand nine, two years after the murder, Landonos an was called back into the courtroom, and hears the word "colpevole."
7: Colpevole,
0: guilty.
6: Colpevole, and it was a roar in the courtroom. People exclaiming, my mom and my sister cry. And I couldn't breathe. My family. My family was there. And I couldn't, I couldn't reach them. I lost it. Everything that I thought I knew about the way justice and life worked was gone.
0: Outside, Italians rejoice. Amanda Knox is sentenced to 26 years in prison. When her boyfriend of seven days refuses to turn on her, his sentence is 25 years. And Rudy Guede gets just 16 because of his cooperation. He could be released as early as next year. And we want you to know we're aware there is so much detail in this case, so many specific questions you may have. We hope you go online to see more of our interview going moment by moment over the case. But next, when we come back here, what the doctors told Amanda Knox
6: in prison. The doctor told me that I had tested positive for HIV and I was stunned.
0: Kapanee Prison, 500 prisoners. In a tiny room, a 22-year-old American girl sentenced to 26 years has only a small window onto a cypress tree. She says day and night she could hear women wailing in their cells. You wrote, I felt as if I were being sealed into a tomb. Yeah, and the tomb was my
6: life. It wasn't the prison.
0: It was my life. Did you think about suicide? I did. She writes she considered cutting her wrists in the shower or swallowing bleach. She says she had panic attacks, began to lose her hair. And one day, a doctor called her to say he had more bad news. They had analyzed the blood sample from the day she arrived. And the doctor told me that I had tested positive
6: for HIV. I was stunned. I went back to my room with one of the prison officials telling me, well, you should have thought about it before you had sex with all those people.
0: She writes in her book, this is the whole truth about her sexual encounters. Four boys in Seattle, three in Italy, including Raffaele. Back in her cell, she made a list of them, and it was confiscated. And they leaked it? They leaked it to the media,
6: often with mistranslations
0: of what I had actually written in English. Another round of headlines. And then, incredibly, they tell Knox it was all just a mistake. She was not HIV positive at all. She writes that what will save her in prison are small acts of humanity, a cellmate from America.
6: She was great. We would sing the Star Spangled Banner every morning.
0: And most saving of all, someone still in her life today, the chaplain of the prison, Don Salo, who taught her this prayer. God, if you exist, I really need you to help right now.
6: I didn't have that same faith, but he convinced me that it wouldn't hurt to pray that if there's a God, to please help, because
0: because we're all helpless. As her lawyers began filing appeals court briefs, she says she began searching for a purpose, studying Italian literature, living for the days her family could come. They have mortgaged homes, traveled 6,000 miles to be near her, parents, step-parents, aunts, uncles, friends. I saw them 1% of the time,
6: and yet they were always there. They were there 100% of the
0: time. Did you think what it was costing them spiritually actually
6: I felt incredibly guilty for what they were having to sacrifice for me and there was a certain point in my in my thinking in prison that if it didn't work out and I never was free again I I was trying to figure out how I could ask them to move on with their life without me because I was tired of them having to sacrifice everything for me.
0: everything. After 1,427 days, the appeals court is about to render a new verdict. In her now fluent Italian, she talks about Meredith in a new way. And then, October 3, 2011, the appeals court judge issues a scathing criticism of that first trial. He cites the dubious reliability of a key witness, the non-existence of the prosecution evidence, and a motive he said prosecutors couldn't prove.
3: Can have a moment, please?
0: Our Elizabeth Vargas had tracked down Manini to ask about the motive.
3: At the beginning of this
6: case, you had said you thought this was part of some satanic ritual. Do you still believe that, to be
5: true? No, right. that's good. That's good. No,
0: no. He denied ever saying it was satanic. Inside the courtroom, Amanda Knox is finally acquitted and goes free.
7: Outside, Italians
0: outraged at her acquittal, jeer, shame, shame. Coming up right here, what Amanda Knox says she wants to tell the Kircher family tonight and her life back in Seattle today.
7: Amanda Knox with her freedom on the line. Now, tomorrow, more inside the story you haven't heard. New details, new questions, and new revelations. On World News with Diane Sawyer, tomorrow on ABC.
3: Ready, Diana? Three, three.
7: An American girl home in Seattle,
0: back with her sisters, now grown up.
3: Nice, neither of us fell.
0: And sometimes she says she's just that daughter who never left and wanted to be near her parents. She was always, you know, home and, yeah, eating your food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's studying creative writing at the University of Washington, playing the guitar. This is a song by Cat Power, taught her by the prison chaplain. She's also oh, back with an old boyfriend who wrote her in prison and sent her his handprint, to hold her hand but for all that seems the same she says everything underneath is different forever
6: my family was expecting the old amanda back which is the old amanda back and i'm not quite as chirpy anymore
0: and now the crushing blow that after all these years the italian supreme court wants her case to go back on trial again i can't be afraid right now i have to be ready to fight and defend myself. She has a reported $4 million advance for her book, which her family says will mostly pay debts and legal bills. They thank everyone giving them support. Millions of people who have supported her saying, how can we help? Don't give up. Keep fighting. And tonight, her former boyfriend, Raffaele Selecito, is also facing another trial. He's been studying robotics, came to visit her in Seattle, still her friend. He was faced with the prospect of not
6: having a sentence if he just blamed me. And he didn't because he couldn't live with a decision like that.
0: You'd known him seven days? Yeah, <laughs> i had known him for seven days. And Patrick Lumumba, he sued her for slander and won. He says you're a great actress. I understand that anger and I do not hold that anger against him. And there is that family for whom this story will never be over. Meredith Kircher's father said everyone always talks about Amanda instead of celebrating the beautiful girl they lost. I'd like to end where we began with the Kircher family. I can only imagine having lost my daughter and the pain that they're going through is unimaginable. Her parents say they hope someday to see the Kirchers when the Kirchers understand Amanda is not involved. Amanda Knox says she doesn't want to add to their grief, hoping someday... That eventually I can
6: have their permission to, to pay my respects at her grave. And I'd also like them to know that she talked about them to me. And she talked about how she wanted to be a journalist like her dad. And she talked about her sister. And if that means, it's all I can give them, is this memory that I have of her to add to their, to all of theirs that they can carry with
0: them when she's gone. Amanda Knox's book is in stores today, but also today, Meredith Kircher's sister released a statement saying her family will not be reading that book. She said, Meredith is the victim, and we are waiting to be heard. So much promise lost. I'm Diane Sawyer. For all of us at ABC News who have been reporting this story for five years, we thank you for watching, and good night.